The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. Episode three of the Offsite Podcast. Joe Taylor Jr. here with Darnell Suleiman. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Very well. I hope you had a great week so far. And uh, we're going to talk this week. The last two episodes, we've been talking about startups and owner-operated small businesses. Uh, One trend that we've seen in the last 10 years is small nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. It used to be pretty tough, it seems like, to start up a nonprofit, right? Does it seem like it's easier to get a nonprofit going compared to, say, 10 years ago? It it appears to be a lot easier. Uh, uh, you still uh, have to f- f- complete the form 1023, uh, but also now what the uh, what the uh, Internal Revenue Service is, is allowing is for you to do your program work, and as you're doing your program work, uh, you can now file the form 1023. Um, I th- <laughs> I don't know. My my brain first kind of said people jump to nonprofit because it's simple, easy money, and somebody wants to donate it to them. So, <laughs> well, let's talk about before we dive into the pros and cons. What what do you think are the motivations for somebody wanting to start a nonprofit? They're not always altruistic. <laughs> so, yes, this is true. So, um, you know, the first, n- normally uh, what I've seen is, wow, just actually three, three. You have the people who are, um, uh, I-, I say, who wants to save the world. They're going to save the world. Uh, uh, they know they need grant money and uh, they and well, we're 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 approaching the Christmas season, so you know they want to give away toys for the children, and you know you know they're 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 really motivated by positive intention, and 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 they have the dream of you know we're going to play Santa to uh uh to, to help people you know who can't parents families who can't uh, purchase toys, and they'll go out. Open it up. They'll go, you know, and it's interesting because you really see them doing the work long before they actually decided, hey, that I should open up a 501c3. That's interesting. Yeah, because they actually do a lot of the work and it's when they really realize that they need more uh, uh, financial support or capitalization. Then they'll say, you know what? Do you know a grant writer? You know someone, you know, know, what advice can you give me on opening up a nonprofit so I can expand? And And these people are... They're really good. They're they're really positive. Then you have uh, the the other side of the extreme, which is the person who says, "You know what? I have and wow, this is normally the people who have the MBAs and the doctorates. God forgive me, y'all, <laughs> but this is the MBA crew, and they'll say, "Hmm, you know, I'm in Phil- I'm in the city of Philadelphia." And, uh, you know, uh, it's a bunch of uh, poor people around me or, you know, and, and I got a good degree and I know and, and I can set this up pretty fast and manage it very, uh, you know, uh, uh, very little management oversight I have to do. And the metrics are s- such uh, they're so low. I can meet these metrics easy and, you know, let me do this. You know, is it wrong? Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, so I'm not gonna say it's wrong, but uh, I, you know, it's it's it's. I was talking to a, a city official, and I said, "Damn, everybody in education wants to get a daggone doctorate degree. They're just passing them out like water now." So it's it, and it's similar to the nonprofit world. There, there already there is a segment of the society who act who say, you know what? It's an easy way in to owning my own company. Mm. That's it. <laughs> that that's interesting. Okay, so we you know before we that's it. There we <laughs> before we started the podcast, we would often have conversations about where are nonprofits coming from and where some of your clients have uh, found success. For instance, uh, there are a number of nonprofit organizations that are clients of Offsite that operate charter schools Mm -hmm. Uh, in Pennsylvania, regardless of what someone might think about the politics of that. It's kind of a growth industry. There's demand for charter schools. There's demand for organizations. And it seems like we we see folks coming from two directions. There's organizations that are springing up just for the sole purpose of getting into the charter school business. Mm -hmm. And then there are existing organizations that have figured out they want to make charter schools part of their portfolio of services. That is correct. So uh, based on what you have to do for compliance with the, with the Commonwealth and Mm -hmm. with the city of Philadelphia, you often have to set up a standalone organization this just to operate the charter school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, what we also see are a lot of philanthropic or religious foundations, organizations, folks that are expressing their personal approach to charity or outreach or mm-hmm. social impact. Mm-hmm. We're, 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 we're seeing that. We, we're, that's a... Um Great insight, uh, Joe. We're, we're, we're seeing it. And, and I, maybe I said about 20 years, no, not that long, 10 years ago, I saw the nonprofit community uh, as a new subsector, if that's how I'm going to look at it, of the government. And I think people say, you know, we got a program, you know, how can we uh, support it? Let's form a nonprofit. Uh, let's get a couple people we know. Find kind of like at least one guy smarter than the rest of us. You know, the accountant or the lawyer. Uh, find a politician. You know, someone who has community. Uh, not not so much a fundraiser or community organization, uh, or who can gather galvanize the people. Um, but I, what what because it, it, it's it's you know uh, when when they revoke in twenty ten the two hundred seventy thousand nonprofits. I said. Well, that's a big number. And actually went up, I think, to like 330, 320. Uh, and I said, wow, people are doing this. But I think, I think part of it is because people have great ideas and the nonprofit gives you the opportunity where you don't have to capitalize it, you know, fund it yourself. And oftentimes you, you just need to know how to uh, uh, do the job, you know, the program side work. So, yeah, did I address that? Yeah, okay. and, and I think you bring up a really interesting point because in the startup space, there are so many conversations going on right now about becoming an accredited invest, investor so mm-hmm. that you have the ability to impact your community by 
investing in a company, whether at an angel level or mm-hmm. at, at a seed level, uh, when it's a nonprofit, there's no longer the expectation of a return on that investment, right? It's just someone's <laughs> going to make a donation and that donation is not necessarily going to come back to the donor. That's, that is true. That's more than likely one, some, one of the motivating factors of that I can take money and, you know, uh, I may not be that successful. Uh, there's no one's going to get mad because we're negative. As a matter of fact, they're going to give us more money because we're negative. <laughs> and we met some, you know, we met the, the bare minimum of the metrics. Um, and, and, and that's scary because one of my... Um, Concerns is, uh, which has always been in the nonprofit community, the level of accountability. If how would this nonprofit operate if it was in a um, for-profit setting? You know, and 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 um, I have to say also, you know, uh, that the nonprofits are not allowed to compete as the for-profits are. There, there are some levels of uh, uh, restriction for them. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and and it really the metrics are really key because an organization can look at well, let's back up for a second and look at large organizations versus smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. So uh, I spent the first ten years of my career in the nonprofit sector doing public radio, public broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So I'm very familiar with concepts like uh, what percentage of your annual revenue. Is, is converted into a fundraising expense. And different types of organizations have different thresholds. Uh, different donors have different thresholds for that. There are some nonprofits that feel like it's completely acceptable if 50 or more percent <laughs> of your, you know, your annual revenue gets spent, turned around and spent on fundraising. Uh, the other end of the spectrum, there are some that are really trying to get that below 10%. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and it's going to various conferences over the years, I would encounter people who had very different mindsets about this based on what the status quo was in their particular specialty. So all of all of that is really just there to say that there's – no cookie cutter nonprofit. Everybody's got their own definition of success, mm-hmm. their own mm-hmm. metrics. Um, what we can say is across the board, organizations that we see as being excellent excel not just at service delivery metrics. That's you know, they excel at delivering based on on whatever they say their mission is. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that the best nonprofits are also good at communicating how effective they are at delivering. So so you see a a nonprofit that's very, very good at being visible in their community Mm -hmm. to a degree that may not make them as financially efficient, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the perception, especially when you want to reach out to major donors, Mm -hmm. the perception may be that you want to associate with a more prominent organization 
one that has a better reputation, one that is seen actually delivering services versus some organizations that are a little more low-key, a little more quiet. They're financially sound. Yeah. They may, yeah, they may and, be more financially sound. They don't have the exposure. They may not have the exposure. And I think in a, in a city like Philadelphia where there's a lot of heritage, there's a lot of old, <laughs> old money in this town. That's right. right. You've got some organizations that were originally established as family foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if you look on the side of the building and you see a family name attached to it, that's correct. There's still seven, eight, nine of those heirs floating around that are usually running their own, either running the family foundation or establishing their own mm-hmm. uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, certainly over the coming weeks, we'll dig into some more of these ideas and topics in depth. But what we wanted to cover for today, still part of our introductory series, uh, we looked at some research from the Financial Accounting Standards Board, the FASB. Mm -hmm. And FASB, Mm -hmm. FASB, uh, they have been doing this for 40 years or so. Okay. So they've been around for a while looking at what are the things that, they see usually these best practices mean you're not just behaving ethically, but you're actually running a sound organization that's going to be around for a while. Mm -hmm. So we picked out five of these and uh, I'm going to shoot these at you and you let me know, you know, where you land on this and how we, uh, what kind of guidance you provide to clients on these. Mm -hmm. So according to FASB, the biggest denominator, the biggest success factor is fairly early on in an organization's life cycle, they decide who's actually going to be handling the accounting. And this is one of those things that from the outside looking in, it seems like it would be kind of a given. But in actuality, a number of organizations launch without any formal person charged with the task of keeping the books. Just as you would have a founder in a startup that's often doing a lot of things, wearing a lot of hats in a nonprofit that maybe launches with one or two people, you know, in charge, Mm -hmm. uh, that accounting task gets split up. So when you start working with an organization that's fairly new, what kind of guidance do you provide that uh, that can help them understand who's responsible for keeping the books? Um, when I when I engage a, a new uh, a group of people, or if someone calls me and say, "Hey, you know, I want to start a um, a nonprofit," and they say, "You know," uh, immediately I ask, "You know, you know, who's handling your books?" and uh, normally they'll say, "Well, I'm doing I'm doing the books myself," or uh, "No one is." And immediately I want to uh, assess how much knowledge they have. Can they handle this on their own? And if they can't, you know, uh, I'll advise, "Hey, you know, offsite can handle that for you," or uh, "Who in your group can handle this?" Uh, and the reason the reason why you want that. Uh, you, you immediately as you were talking, as you were talking, my brain says segregation of duties. In the county, you want a person who's going to capture payables, capture capture receivables, and then one person who's going to do oversight of that. When you don't have those three components in place, quite possibly someone can steal, or more than likely, 
you will also find that the financial reporting does not reflect how the money should have been spent or the correct allocations, you know. Uh, uh, so was it a fundraising expense or was it a program expense? Was it a management expense? You, you want to say, mm-hmm. well, yeah. So uh, normally, uh, uh, and, I, and I'll actually ask them, hey, bring in your books, you know, bring in your financials. Let me see your, your data and take a look at it. And um, I'll walk them uh, through and say, you know, uh, after, of course, they've explained to me what is their mission, how do you know? How do they generate? Uh, well, 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 not so much even generated revenue. What does the grant uh, outline for service or products? You know, whether it could be food delivery or something. So, because the, yeah. and, and let's dive, let's dig into that just a little deeper for a moment because unlike a small business, the sources of revenue for a nonprofit could come with strings attached. So yes. you might receive fees for uh, donations. Mm-hmm. You might, for instance, going back to my public radio days, you might sell tote bags and T-shirts mm-hmm. or provide uh, premiums in exchange for donations mm-hmm. or memberships. However, when you get into grants, the the grant maker is often setting their own definition of success or their that own requirements for how the money's going to get spent. That is correct. The the so in, in in the nonprofit community, there are two types of revenue. Real simple, restricted, unrestricted. Restricted of uh and oh well, and there's in kind also. Um which is in kind is more an agreed mutual of exchange of products or services between two people. And there's and and and, and they kind of uh both parties kind of set what the value of, of the exchange is going to be. They come to a memorandum of understanding. So, but getting back to restricted and unrestricted uh, uh, revenue, um, unrestricted is that, you know, uh, I come in uh, and uh, I come to uh, Joe's nonprofit. Hey, Joe, here's $10. You can say, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna spend this. I'm gonna spend. I could spend on electricity. I could spend it for the accountant. I could spend it for marketing. Doesn't matter." With unrestricted, I mean, with restricted. Now, you know, uh, you're given uh, an outline of. Uh, I'm gonna give you uh, this. These ten dollars. I want uh, five of the dollars to be spent uh, for your program or on you know delivering services. To an underserved community, you know, or deserving community, like they, they started using that word "deserving" <laughs> community. So, and the other five, I, I will, I will like you to use for your advertisement, and 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 even now, and, and now that's only an allocation with uh, a quantitative understanding of how I want you to spend the money. But also, I would like to for you to show me how you're going to meet these metrics, the qualitative side metrics. Now. And that's and that's what you see uh, of how that in, that agreement rolls out, and I have to say that at times it handcuffs um, uh, nonprofits because oftentimes you will see that the nonprofit is not adequately delivering the message to the donor what it takes to deliver the service. And the donors are not sitting down studying the nonprofit's activities on the ground to say, oh, wow, you know. And because and, and, a lot of times, uh, some of these agreements are very cookie cutter. So, uh, and so if you do see, uh, if, if, if there is, if the, uh, the nonprofit falls short of meeting those, those measures, 
oftentimes because the two there 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 need to be a, more meetings to understand how to spend the money and what and and what's really needed on the ground. Now let's dive into the distinction between the accountant and the bookkeeper who's going to keep track of day-to-day activities and also handle that reconciliation with donors versus what FASBI calls a board treasurer. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So the, uh, it's interesting because you, you, you kind of singled out bookkeeper and accountant. So normally when I consider the bookkeeper, it's just a day-to-day guy. Like, so they may have only one designation, accounts payable, accounts receivable. Accountant, I kind of look as they're, they're handling accounts payable. Account, they, they can function in these different capacities, accounts payable, account receivable, uh, and reconciliations, monthly or quarterly annual reporting too. So when I say accountant, I'm, I'm also talking in that phrase too. The treasurer, see, you know, it's interesting because I am beginning to see people just call themselves treasurers. So when I, when I consider a treasurer, I'm, I'm considering a treasurer someone who is not actively involved in day-to-day uh, management or operational decisions, but they, they serve in the capacity uh, as oversight. And they have uh, the uh, competency to give guidance to meeting uh, the financial reporting to meeting the mission statement. So, but again, what I have been seeing is lately with a lot of the nonprofits, and it's not, I think it's good intention, they say, you know, we're, hey, we, we want to get moving, but we're going to, hey, Joe, uh, not, okay, not you, Joe, but another Joe. <laughs> hey, Joe, can you, um, can you serve this role as treasurer? But the distinction is, you know, when, when we talk about the treasurer from the board, there, his job is to give um, an, an oversight uh, uh, guidance of meeting the requirements of the grant meeting the requirements of local reporting authorities, not the day-to-day operational, but to make sure we're moving in that direction and to support his, 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 use his knowledge to support the mission statement. And so that's really a mission and vision-driven role. That's correct. A, a broad oversight role. That's the, the treasurer is not the person that's doing the day-to-day tasks. That is correct. And now you're seeing that and all the time, you, 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 what happens is when, when you see the treasurer play, it actively involved in development policy, it can be, it's normally they may not have enough money. They do not have the internal uh, uh, pe- people internally who can handle that, you know, that role. Uh, and sometimes they just don't know how to let go. Yeah. So, so the same kind of growing pains that any organization faces, somebody that's calling themselves a treasurer because they want to have their hands in a lot of different things yes. doesn't necessarily want to let it go. But that, what are the implications of having a treasurer that's too involved in policy or too, in, too involved in the day-to-day, let's say? Where is the objectivity? You know, um, the when 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 you see a treasurer who is really involved in day to day management, uh, how can they be? Uh, how, how are they able to give a um, a good, you know, a, a, an objective point of view mm-hmm. of what they're observing, you know, and what they're going to audit themselves because that's that's what this also comes down to is what you know you know. Uh, and it, it, wow, because it's very ego driven too. You know what I'm. You you can't. You, the, 
and is it because I'm actually dealing with that on a couple of clients right now where uh, where the treasurers are very involved in the day to day activities. And what I'm seeing is that they are uh, putting their bias into how they believe it should flow and undermining the existing staff there also. Mm, so that treasurer really has to play that devil's advocate role and challenge the day-to-day policy and program managers to make sure that the funds are being handled in the best possible way. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. So, so there's that internal audit element as well, just making sure that's, that, that is correct. the accountability is there. The, the, so the treasurer will normally, um, and again, I've seen this, but they would also organize what is a organized or put together what is called the financial committee, and the financial committee or what will deal with the audits, internal and external audits, um, whether it's uh, deal with uh, uh, situations where they want to expand the company, so they might have to issue you know go into certain levels of financing, bond financing, mortgage financing. The 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 treasurer is is. Well, they will, and the treasurer or the board, uh, chairman of the board will sign off on these documents. But you, you only see them at, at only on a high level oversight. That's it. If they're there day to day, they are now undermining the, the, the operation staff. And, and, and what will happen is that the subordinates, you know, will, will start to question everything, you know. And you don't want that. No, no. So coming back to big leadership decisions at the inception of a new nonprofit organization, one of the decisions that FASB says that an organization has to make is between accrual accounting and cash accounting. So walk us through what those phrases mean. Why would one be better than another for a typical nonprofit? Got you. Um, okay, so cash, so let me explain it to you. So cash is, you recognize the revenue when received, you recognize the, the cash, uh, the revenue when it's out, when it leaves, when, it, when, it, when you expense it, pay a check. Um, with, with, with accrual, it, it comes down to recognition of carrying items forward, accounts payables, account, uh, accounts receivable, um, and often when I hear clients who say, you know, which one do I pick? I also look at it in terms of, well, not in a nonprofit setting, of how to minimize your tax liability too. Because, but see, this doesn't count for the nonprofit sector in terms of if the donors, if the donors would like to know how, what are the projected uh, donations you may consider under the accrual setting. Uh, the expenses, they, they may want to know, but it's normally a donor-driven question with accruals. So with accrual, for instance, if I understand it right from what you've explained, mm-hmm. accrual accounting can benefit organizations that rely heavily on things like matching grants. Matching grants. Um, often I'll hear, people, I'll hear people say, well, uh, you know how many members you have, because now they're trying to make uh, predictions on how to expand, or what you know, or or how to spend their money. Also, it's it yeah. seems because it seems like there would be some limited 
cases in which your nonprofit would go with accrual, you'd be in a pretty narrow set of circumstances where that would really be beneficial. Well, if you're a school, you'll use modified accrual accounting, uh, which is as which is uh, uh, half cash, and and your 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 mortgage would be viewed uh, or your your liability, which is they would they'd be captured under accrual. Um, but normally, what I what I have from my experience has always been that if you meet a certain threshold, if you have uh, if if there if there are heavy um, or significant liabilities, that's when you take accrual into consideration. Uh, the cash, because here's the thing, I, I can't honestly say I've ever saw somebody say, "Oh, you know, we're going to bet on you know our revenue side." I haven't seen that. For the nonprofit side, I mean, for the for-profit side, it's really straightforward. But I'm, I'm going to get back with you on that one. Okay. Thank you. So whether you choose cash or accrual mm-hmm. for your nonprofit organization, you still have to pick some software to keep track of everything. Yes, yes. So some of the things that are out there right now, and th- this is where nonprofits have to consider, I think, the the— relative value versus the money spent, okay? Yes. So three popular options for nonprofits. There's QuickBooks, there's Peachtree Accounting, and then there's something called New Cash or GNU Cash, G-N-U Cash. That's new to me. So it's GNU to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So G-N- okay. GNU, uh, anytime online you see something with GNU in front of it, it's not the animal, it's actually part of the open source movement. So okay. it's a band of developers that have tried to put out a QuickBooks alternative mm-hmm. that's free. Interesting. Okay. So to some degree, <laughs> it's a little bit interoperable with uh, some of the, the formats that are out there, but it is like the others, its own silo. It's Okay. You know, so um, what should guide the decision for a nonprofit when they're choosing accounting software? Um, a trained accounting professional sitting down to understand not just, you know, the generally accepted accounting principles. What are we trying to report? How do you need, how should the reports look when you're presenting them to your donors? That's the key thing. And the volume of the activity, the detail. Uh, QuickBooks is really good, uh, and I'm not knocking it. It's excellent software, but also it's limited too. And I didn't, I didn't hear you mention Blackbot. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, Blackbot is is, is a little it's uh, it's a little more robust, um, and 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 it's, and and when it comes to like uh, the reporting side, the ability to manipulate through crystal reports too. So um, that's that's what it comes down to, in, in my opinion. Like I, I'm I'm going to I'm dealing with a client uh, shortly. And we have to. Uh, he has it. He has QuickBooks. He ha- he's given me some complaints about the timeliness of the reports. So what I want to do is take a look at his budget, take a look at the uh, reporting outline that's required with the state, uh, and then I want to see what is the re- and, and the recording outline, the reporting outline, 
with uh, with the federal, you know, the Internal Revenue Service. And I'm and and as I'm talking to him, I'm going to be writing this up, kind of mapping this out how I want, how I would like the chart of a council look, and then also what other uh, other variables I would like to use, such as class to for reporting. So I think I think when it comes to that, the 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 uh, program person has to sit with the accountant, sit with uh, the uh, developer, or, or the person who works in the uh, the, the uh, uh, development side, which is I think that's fundraising, mm-hmm. and say, hey, what do you need, and and then tailor each report to uh, what that particular department or program need. What you do not want to do is have to uh, re, you know, uh, produce a report all the time from scratch. That, that's too much time. And that, I think that brings up the point where some nonprofits will come into this and try to retrofit a version of Quicken that came with their computer or something they found online that's fairly inexpensive, thinking that they're saving a lot of money, but it sounds like they're creating a huge opportunity cost because what I hear you saying is that the reporting out to donors is Paramount. really the vital that decision maker here. That is correct. Uh, uh, I, I do a lot of work, as you know, with nonprofit charter schools in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, they have a report which is, which is called a final expenditure report. And... Um, and, and, and oftentimes you'll see people who, like you said, they'll take quick and they'll take uh, other softwares. Because even like uh, one of the local banks here has um, a virtual wallet. I, I didn't give them away now. <laughs> <laughs> but but when, when I saw that, I said, okay, if you're the nonprofit, how do you, how do you dump all this in? And what, what always happens is... You'll hear the CEO say, and the donor at the same time say, "Where's the report? Why, you know, uh, why aren't they timely?" And you'll see f- four different versions of one report. And now, what happens? Uh, you're eroding trust and fidelity in that relationship too. The different versions is that because someone's manually having to copy data out of, say, the the bank's website and put it into that. And it's not, or they maybe they didn't do their monthly reconciliations. Maybe they, they, they do not have the the right uh, uh, protocol process for you know or for 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 recording the data because the banks, uh, you know, virtual wallet's a great product. I use it, it myself. It is, but it's it guesses at whether you know. I'll give you a very specific example. It it doesn't know if I go into Hard Rock Cafe whether I ate in the restaurant or I bought a T-shirt. It yeah. just thinks all of that is restaurant. That's right. And That's so right. if I'm putting that in a donor report and let's say I bought a bunch of stuff at Hard Rock Cafe to give away mm-hmm. in a raffle or something mm-hmm. like that. In a fundraiser. Uh, in a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. That should go under fundraising expenses. That is correct. But it could easily get put under meals and entertainment yeah. if the if the bank's website just assumes that that is correct. Okay. That is correct. So you don't want to rely on a consumer grade product that's going to make general 
guesses and yes, estimates. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. You, and, and, and take the time. You know, people say, you know, of course somebody's going to say, well, you know, the upfront cost is going to cost money. Okay, so consider this. To set up a good accounting system for probably a nonprofit and this is just me guessing because I want but well you quote it online. <laughs> so we'll just say a million under. No, you know what? No, I can use real life experience for the the charter schools with budgets of five to ten million dollars, maybe for a good ten thousand dollars, you can have it set up correctly. So you you have your charter of accounts uh, reflecting your 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 budget. You, then from that, you can have your maybe six different, uh, different reporting um, outlines, you know, but it, it's, it's no. We, we get often in Philadelphia into arguments about how money gets spent, especially around charter schools. And <laughs> so, so this is the case where I, I remember from public radio as well, where somebody would say, you know, why did you spend money on that versus this? And uh, $10,000 to a small-ish nonprofit organization with a budget of $5 million is a pretty significant expense. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, I, can, I have visions in my head of board members that I've worked with in the past saying, well, I can just go to the Apple store and buy a copy of QuickBooks for $300. It's that opportunity costs That's of correct. you will probably spend double what you could have spent fixing all the issues that crop up by just trying to use the off-the-shelf piece. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, and, 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 and it's our job, well, first I blame the accountants. I, I'm going to be open with that. I blame accountants because we pretty much just come in and we really don't sell ourselves and, and or educate our the people we serve on the benefit of doing it the right way, you know. Uh, and so I blame us right from the door. Accountants have really got to. Um, nobody has really came and challenged us. <laughs> so if that makes sense, no one's come along and say, you know, why should we hire an accountant? And and what happens is. Uh, so, so people, and, and, and the other thing is, and I don't know, I think we talked about this. The other thing is that uh, when, when, when we talk about the accountant, uh, no one looks at how they participate in a company as a possible revenue generator, too. You know, because if they're able to make correct and, you know, we'll say uh, uh, 90% accuracy estimates, that, that helps, you know. So, uh, but I blame the accountants. And, 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 what you don't want to do is spend the five, you know, spend the $300. Now, now the, so more than likely, if you're spending $300, you probably can't afford, and which is, which is okay, but you probably can't afford an accounting professional to come and help you. Uh, your, your, your donors are going to question your timeliness. Your, uh, you're taking away time from working on your programs, so and and that really comes down to the uh, the idea that investing up front in that solid foundation yes, lets you get back to delivering on the mission and vision 
and raising funds to continue that definitely, cycle. Definitely, definitely. As opposed to putting out fires. Yes, yes. Thank and, you. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where, um, you know, looking at some reports from uh, the D- GWSCPA, Nonprofit Financial Accountability Task Force, um, they looked at a number of nonprofits and found that, uh, again, nonprofits that succeed follow best practices by doing income statements, and running balance sheets. Uh, They found, and this is another one where I look into this and as an outsider looking into this world, I think, how do you you even operate, how does your organization operate day to day if you don't know how much money you have? How could you operate without knowing what your income is? So they say the, the nonprofits that don't update their income statements have a tendency to fail which seems pretty obvious, right? But what goes into that reporting? What goes into maintaining a balance sheet that lets your managers or your board make good decisions about the, the nonprofit? With the income statements, it's, it's your revenue coming in, your grants, contributions, and with your expense statement, you know, how you're spending the money. Uh, whether it's, uh, I guess if it's, if you're doing, a, you know, going back to the example earlier today with the children for toys, you know, you're going out purchasing toys. You're going out uh, using United States Postal Service for, you know, send products to the children and things like that or some marketing letters or whatever. Uh, but for the income statement, it's, you know, your, your revenue, your expenses. For the balance sheet, of course, th- these are the items that we care for. So, you know, it's our balance in the bank. It's our liability accounts payable uh, for or the expenses we haven't paid, uh, and or uh, uh, or also you know things that have been prepaid. You know, I was sitting here thinking, why would not someone books? Uh, uh, why are not the financial statements not um, current? It's because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I, I can envision a situation where kind of at the outset we talked about folks that would call themselves treasurers because yeah. they felt that that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me that this gets back to what we talked about at the top of the show, which was folks starting organizations because they're very driven yeah. by yeah. something. And, some, and, and we hope that that's driven by the mission and not by the ego. But, yeah. but that's also something has become, something's fallen out of alignment because you're getting that far into delivering your mission and you don't know how much money's coming in. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be hard to make decisions yeah. Yeah. based on this. Often, and, 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 and when you see it, you know, again, it's, it's not... These people have good intentions. They, um, I, and, and, and here's what I do here. Here's what I hear. You know, we, we only have a half a million dollars, and, and, and we really want to use all of that money for our program. And I get it. I get it. And, 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 and you believe also, you know, this person has a, 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 a belief that, you know, um, if, 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 uh, if we're not, Drive if we're not giving all of our revenue to our program, you know um, it looks bad. But if you if your financial records if if you can't turn on your accounting software and say how much money we have in the bank, it's it's a bigger problem. What did it really cost for us to go to North Philadelphia uh, or uh, Mount Airy and give toys out? What did you know? What was the actual cost? 
or you know, we we, we tried to fill up our vans and our and our debit cards are not accepted. And so, yeah, yeah, I you know we uh, you back to the charter school idea. I could envision a parent saying something like, you know, why why don't we have better textbooks or why don't we have better computer equipment in the school versus spending $10,000 on accounting software, the answer really comes down to spending the $10,000 on the accounting program allows us to ensure that we have what we have this year and next year and every year that after. That is correct. It's that is the sustainability of the organization. <laughs> that is correct. That relies on on this Defining. program. It, the, the, the look at the accounting department as one of the corners of your building. It, it, it has to be there. You know, I, I don't know if I've seen many buildings stand with three sides. I don't know. If you know of a three-side building, let me know. But if there is, <laughs> I don't know of it. I've seen circular ones. I'm trying to think. There's people say the pyramids. The pyramids three sides? I think it is three sides. Okay. But, <laughs> I but still, yeah. I, yeah. I stayed in a hotel recently that only had three See? sides. <laughs> it was shaped like a triangle, but... I don't know. I don't think that I, I, I wouldn't think about the yeah. um, okay the sustainability of that long term. Yeah. The the fifth and final consistent best practice that FASB Financial Accounting Standards Board says that effective nonprofits follow is ensuring that there's a, at least one designated person on the board or on the management team that's tasked with making sure that the organization is up to date with any changes to regulations, any changes with laws and oversight. And and it seems like this is an area where specialized professionals know how to keep up with those changes. The 270,000, I was to go back to that number, 270,000 nonprofits were revoked. Uh, it was the, uh, the American... Uh, Pension Protection Act, I think of 2007, this act came into play. Um, and I think uh, either well, it was 2007, 2006, God. And, but the next year went into effect. And it simply said, if you miss three years in a row, you're cut. Who would have known? And then there were some people who, had, who did not have to report at all because they, they, their, their, their revenue did not meet that threshold of reporting or... Or they had to do what is called a postcard return. How much you made was the expenses send it on it. And that was something, if you're if you're doing your work, if you're out there in your program, if you're out there operating, it it, it, it slips your mind. It just it just slips your mind. Um, and, 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 and this person is interesting is interesting also because you also want someone who is well versed in the the, the, the political side. Uh, the legislative side of what your nonprofit is into. Uh, often, what what and what we're now seeing in Philadelphia, once politics comes into play, the reporting shifts. So, um, and, and it's not just in a charter school. I think, um, you know, I think that uh, with now uh, and uh, I have I, I, you're okay, but Governor Corbett. So. <laughs> See, he's talking about Governor Corbett. No, but now that Governor Corbett is in office, what normally happens is legislation shifts. There's a new, new, a new policy guy is in place, new governor. 
some things are going to change. And what you want is someone who, you know, find, you know uh, if your industry is charter schools, how is that going to affect their charter school reporting? He might enact some more, some, some more uh, uh, process, some, some more um, uh, metrics that need to be met. So that shifts. And, and you want someone who is a financial pro- professional and um, a program. I guess, don't want to say program professional, someone who knows, because it may not be the financial side that needs to be uh, highlighted also. And it could just be a, a, a qualitative thing that needs to be reported also. So the advantage here and the, the talent that you need on the team if you're running a nonprofit mm-hmm. is someone that understands the legislative impact, what's going on yes. in your state house. And to, to a degree, uh, especially if you're in a place like Philadelphia, you've got to know the local, the county, the state, the federal, you know, because if you're out, let's say near here, Delaware County, for instance, I've got a lot of experience there where you might have a town borough that has their own uh, local tax that you are asking to get waived. There's a, a, a group of folks there that hopefully your mission aligns with what they feel like is worth waiving the taxes for. This is correct. Uh, especially when you get into the suburbs and you're looking at things like property tax or, mm-hmm. or wage tax or special sales taxes. Then you've got the county level, you've got the state, and then all on top of that, what happens in Washington? In Washington. So, so that person on your team that's tasked with keeping the books straight mm-hmm. has to be able to report out at all four of those government levels. That's correct. That's correct. Not to mention any specific departmental if you're doing stuff with... HHS mm-hmm. or with any other that's, specialty department. That's that's correct. Yeah. So so all of these best practices really come back to making the case for working with a specialized accounting professional yeah. who understands how to navigate this. And I want to come back to something you said earlier. This doesn't have to be seen as an expense with no return. This could yes. actually be... Uh, a profit, we would call it a profit center if it was a for profit business, yeah. but this can actually be somebody that understands how to generate a return. And in the best case scenario, this position should be able to pay for itself. Really. That's correct. That's correct. It, it, as, as we said earlier, um, I'm not sure if it was on a mic or off the mic, <laughs> but it's your, you know, the, the, I always tell people, historical information means nothing to you. Okay, so, you know, uh, what's the day's date? The 21st? So, is it 21st? Okay, we're, so December- we're, taping, we're taping this uh, November uh, 21st. Oh, I think this is going to air <laughs> okay. December 15th, okay. so not too far out. Okay, so December the 15th, out, we just completed some numbers. What do we know? We know how much money we had coming in. We know... Uh, how much someone owes us, and what's the, the shareholder or in a nonprofit, you know, how much money we can push back, we can uh, continue to expand our programs with or deliver our service with. Okay. Yeah, that's all we know. Now, if, how about if you're coming to, you're having weekly meetings with your accounting professional and, and you need to understand you know, maybe, maybe you did not get an award, 
you know, and, and you need your accounting professional to present to you different models of how you can still deliver the service under different conditions. That's where the accounting department helps. Uh, and, 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 I, and I really believe, again, you know, I, I love the accounting. This doesn't go for all of us, but we, ha- we have to make present that point like that. You know, not where, hey, here's the financial numbers. People say, oh, okay, we, the accountants are here. They gave us the numbers. You know, I would love for them, like, the accountants are here. Now, how much money did we save? Mm. And what else could we do? That, that's, that's a different conversation. You know, um, and, 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 and oftentimes it's, so, yeah, okay. Did, and, and, and people look at, they look at it says, you know, and I blame us. Did you do this? Did you do that? And it's never excitement, you know. And that's and and we talk we've for the past few episodes we've talked a lot about this. I think this is going to become the theme of the podcast going forward. How do you elevate from just preparing for compliance? That's correct. That's and the correct. Bare Thank minimum you. reporting yeah. that you have to do, and actually take accounting to a place where it generates the ability to serve more. Yeah. And do more with your resources. Yes, that's and I think that's really what's going to separate accounting professionals who help their clients thrive. That's correct. From all of the negative stereotypes around, yeah, they're here to count everything up, and they're just going <laughs> to bill us by the hour, and yes. they're going to count real slow yeah. so they can get their billings up. <laughs> um, this is why you see some of the big firms that have the kind of accounting branches and the consulting branches, yeah. you know, and they, they sometimes let the consultants get a little more of that glory. Yeah. Um, but but that's really showcasing why someone's going to you know bring you mm-hmm. or someone like you with that mm-hmm. mindset in and say. Yeah, let's talk about why you didn't get this grant and what you can do with what you have left. And maybe we can identify areas you can optimize what you're spending on. Uh, Did you know that this program person and this program person and this program person are all using the same vendor? Mm -hmm. If you bundled that together, you could get a discount. Yes. If you put that out for a bid, you might get a similar product from another vendor at 20% less. Like those are the kinds of things that uh, nonprofits can actually save money mm-hmm. with those realizations compared to being concerned about what they're spending on the accounting service. Interesting. As you were saying that, my mindset, interesting. Do we really have the conversation of managerial accounting in the nonprofit sector? And, you know, do, you know when we, in, in, in accounting, we, we, we learn about manufacturing. And how do you apply those same principles to the nonprofit sector? Mm. And then there's the return. I think we just came up with a topic for an entire show. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, okay. So for yeah. next week's show, we're going to spend time. So we looked again at the top five best practices. We're going to next week look at five pitfalls before the end of the year. So if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit organization in the new year, these are the five things to avoid. And so that'll be the topic for next time. Interesting. Thank all you. right. So until then, Joe Taylor Jr. joined by Darnell Suleiman. Thanks for joining us. All of the notes for today's show are available at offsite.com slash podcast. That's A-U-P-H-S-I-T-E dot com slash podcast. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.